Welcome to the Happy Menopause Podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, nutritionist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialise in women's health and the menopause. There are multiple ways that diet and lifestyle can support you through the challenges of midlife. And my latest book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with all my best nutritional advice to help you tailor your diet to your menopause symptoms. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Hi everyone. The theme for this year's World Menopause Day is cardiovascular disease. You may wonder what that's got to do with the menopause. So here's the thing. Once you come through the menopause, your body will adjust to the new hormonal version of you. And for the most part, your symptoms will settle down, just like they did after puberty. But there are one or two key areas that you need to continue to focus on in the long term. Bone health is one, as I'm sure you're aware, and heart health is another. It may surprise you to know that cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of death amongst women. And cardiovascular conditions are something I come across quite a lot with the women in my nutrition clinic. Cardiovascular disease is a broad term, which includes coronary heart disease, a blockage of the arteries that affects blood supply to the heart. Symptoms include chest pain and shortness of breath, which left unchecked could lead to a heart attack. Now, the risk of coronary heart disease is much lower for women than men up to the menopause. But post-menopause, this risk becomes the same due to the loss of the protective effects of estrogen on the heart muscle. So we really do need to start to focus hard on heart health. Congestive heart failure also falls under the umbrella of cardiovascular disease. This is when your heart can't pump blood efficiently enough so that it can start to collect in your lungs or legs. It's often caused by coronary heart disease, high blood pressure or diabetes. Strokes are another form of cardiovascular disease and can lead to a variety of symptoms such as weakness in the limbs, confusion and changes in vision or speech. Now, all of this sounds a bit doom and gloom, doesn't it? But the good news is that you absolutely have the power in your hands to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease because the right diet and lifestyle can significantly impact your heart health. And that's what this podcast is all about. So where should we start? Well, the first thing I'd say is that it's important to be proactive about your health. Don't bury your head in the sand if you suspect there's an issue or have a family history of heart problems. Using your busy schedule or the challenges in securing a doctor's appointment as excuses to put off any investigations is not a smart move. Prompt and early action can nip any potential issues in the bud, so it's really worth keeping on top of this. When was the last time you had a routine blood pressure check and a blood cholesterol test? If it's been a while, now could be a good time to follow up on that so that you know your numbers. Let's look at high blood pressure, or hypertension as it's also known, first of all. Keeping your blood pressure within a healthy range is a must to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. And because you won't necessarily experience symptoms, if you're not getting it checked, you may not be aware of a problem. The practice nurse at your doctor's surgery can arrange this for you. Lots of pharmacies now offer a check. You may be able to get it tested as part of a routine health check at work. 
Or you could always pick up your own blood pressure monitor online. Omron is an example of a good brand. A standard blood pressure reading would be around 120 over 80 or below. Anything below 90 over 60 would be considered low blood pressure. High blood pressure would be from around 135 over 85. The higher number is the systolic number. And that's the reading when the heart is pushing blood around the body. The lower number is the diastolic reading, which is when the heart is at rest between beats. Now, what you eat and drink can have a real impact on your blood pressure. So here are a few obvious areas to work on. Blood pressure is affected by a couple of things. How much blood the heart is pumping around the body and how hard it is for the blood to move through the arteries. If the arteries are narrow or inflexible, this can increase the blood pressure. This means that when you're thinking about your diet, you want to focus on foods that support the health and flexibility of the arteries and that limit a process called vasoconstriction, where the blood vessels become narrower, which increases the pressure. A high salt diet can increase vasoconstriction, so you need to start thinking more carefully about salt. Do you really need to add salt to your meal as well as to your cooking? Are you consuming foods that are high in salt? Not just the obvious things like crisps or potato chips, but halloumi, for example, is incredibly high in salt. And 100 grams contains almost half of the daily recommended limit of 6 grams of salt. That's a lot of salt. Smoked products, processed meats, fast food and some ready meals can all contain high levels of salt. It's worth checking labels to get a feel for how much is there. But don't be fooled if it mentions sodium. That's not the same as salt. If you think back to high school chemistry, you'll probably remember that salt is actually sodium chloride. Some labels mention sodium, which can be confusing, but you actually need to multiply it by 2.5 to get the actual salt content. So it might not be as low as you think. Both alcohol and caffeine are common culprits in raising blood pressure, so you may need to audit your intake if you're concerned about your test result. Reducing these can be a real quick win when it comes to heart health. And here's a random one. Did you know that black licorice can increase blood pressure? (laughs) Better stay off those blackjacks if they're still around. There's a 1970s reference for you. If you want to be proactive about bringing down your blood pressure, then you might want to consider the DASH diet, which stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. One of the key elements of this diet is that it aims to increase potassium. Sodium and potassium work in opposition to each other, and too much of one can impact levels of another. For the most part, our salt-rich diet means that we tend to have higher levels of sodium than potassium in the blood, which won't help the blood pressure. The DASH diet focuses on foods that are high in potassium, so you'd need to be eating plenty of vegetables. Think five to seven portions per day. You can easily do this if you start to be creative with what you put in salads, or by making soups or vegetable casseroles. Or you could try juicing vegetables, which is a great way to bump up your intake. Making sure you're having plenty of vegetables both at lunch and dinner really will keep the ratio up. Vegetables are an excellent source of vitamin C. And that's good news for our arteries because there is some evidence to suggest that it helps to protect them against damage and to keep them flexible so they don't become hard and constricted. 
The DASH diet also features some fruit, a couple of portions per day. And then think about legumes, so lentils, chickpeas and beans, for example. Nuts and seeds, whole grains such as brown bread, brown rice and brown pasta. And lean protein like chicken or fish. You're advised to steer clear of fatty and processed meats, palm oil, excessive levels of sugar and alcohol. Another thing to think about could be celery. Some studies have shown that a daily portion of celery or celery juice can help to reduce blood pressure, so that might be worth a try. Magnesium is a natural blood pressure lowerer, so eating two handfuls of dark green leafy vegetables every day is a good way to boost your magnesium levels. Be careful about supplements, though, if you're on blood pressure medication, because the cumulative effect may lead to low blood pressure, which can cause dizzy spells or fainting. So these are best avoided and you should get your magnesium from food sources instead. I did a whole episode about magnesium in September, so have a listen for more detailed advice. It's a great episode, if I say so myself. Let's look at cholesterol next. Elevated cholesterol is another risk factor that can contribute to cardiovascular disease and may lead to strokes. Poor old cholesterol has a pretty bad press, but it's important to recognise that it's the stuff of life and we need it for the correct functioning of every body cell. Our body uses it to make steroid hormones, which includes the sex hormones, and we also need it for the production of vitamin D, and it's very important for the brain and nervous system. The thing is that it's all about balance. The LDL and HDL cholesterol that you've probably heard of are essentially carrier proteins. High-density lipoprotein, or HDL, and low-density lipoprotein, or LDL. LDL carries this cholesterol to the cell, and HDL carries it away again. If you have too much LDL and not enough HDL, then excess cholesterol can build up in the cells. And this is where the problems could start. It's why LDL is known as the bad cholesterol and HDL the good. When you get a cholesterol test, it'll break down into a series of numbers. You'll have total cholesterol. Ideally, this is 5 millimoles per litre or less. LDL should be less than 3 and HDL should be at least 1.2 and ideally around 1.4 millimoles per litre for women. You'll also be given a ratio of HDL to non-HDL. The other thing that will usually feature in the test is triglycerides. They're another type of fat in the blood, and high levels are a risk factor for heart disease. A healthy fasting test result should be below 1.7 millimoles per litre, or below 2.3 for non-fasting. If you do a finger prick test that shows elevated total cholesterol without all these other details, it's advisable to visit your doctor so that you know what the HDL and LDL breakdown is, because that will help determine whether you need to take action or not. Risk factors for high cholesterol include a sedentary lifestyle, being overweight, a diet high in saturated fat, and a family issue of issues with cholesterol, especially if it's come in early middle age. What you eat can make a significant difference to your cholesterol levels. So here's where you should start if you want to regulate them or to maintain a healthy range. The first thing to know is that most of the cholesterol in our body is produced in the liver using the saturated fats in our diet. Dietary cholesterol found in certain foods such as eggs or shellfish doesn't really influence the levels in our blood. So don't let anyone tell you that you can't have an egg every day 
because you totally can. They're a fantastic source of protein and practically a superfood, with the yolk being a highly nutritious source of key vitamins and minerals, even if it does contain some cholesterol. What you do need to think about, though, is the level of saturated fats in your diet. Are you overdoing the red meat, beef, pork, lamb? Are you having a lot of processed meat, like ham, bacon or salami? Cheese is a significant source of saturated fat, and so is butter. Deep fried foods and junk foods too. Opting for a lean source of protein, such as turkey, chicken, fish, or plant proteins like tofu or quinoa, is the way to go to keep those saturated fats down. Aim for foods that are rich in the essential fatty acids, omega-3, 6, and 9. That'll make sure your body and your brain get the fat they need to support our nervous system, our hormone balance, and our heart, without overdoing the saturated fats. So eat oily fish like sardines, salmon or mackerel at least three times a week. Ground flaxseed is a great source of omega-3. Cook with olive oil rather than butter to get the omega-9. Or drizzle it over cooked vegetables or use it for salad dressings. I'd aim for two tablespoons daily. Nuts and seeds are a good shout too. Studies have shown that eating 30 grams of raw, unsalted nuts each day can help to reduce cholesterol. Tuck into almonds, walnuts and hazelnuts for an extra boost of omega-3 and steer clear of peanuts that tend to be higher in saturated fat. Beta-glucans found in oats are a form of soluble fibre that plays a big role in binding to excess cholesterol and excreting it via the gut. Aim to eat oats every day in the form of granola, overnight oats, porridge, oat cakes or oat breads. Other great sources of soluble fibre include beans and pulses. Try thickening homemade soup with butter beans instead of potato. It's a delicious way to bring down that cholesterol. Plant sterols, S-T-E-R-O-L-S, are also highly researched as a means of reducing LDL cholesterol. You can find these in products like Benacol spread or their yogurts, if you can find an unsweetened one. Alternatively, you can take a sterile supplement. One dose should be sufficient, though, as studies have shown that two or more don't increase the benefit. Take it with the largest meal of the day. This is when we produce the most digestive juices and the most cholesterol as a result. Now, probably the most researched diet to support heart health is the Mediterranean diet, which features a lot of anti-inflammatory foods. This is based on the diet found in the Mediterranean countries, where it was found that instances of cardiovascular disease were much lower than elsewhere. Sadly, this doesn't mean pizza and pasta. It's more about what people are eating in the coastal areas. There's lots of crossover with everything I've already mentioned. It's all about oily fish, white fish, lean grilled meats, olives and olive oil, tomatoes, peppers, lentils and beans, chickpeas and hummus, Greek yogurt, whole grains, fruits and vegetables. You generally avoid sugary foods, refined white carbohydrate, processed foods, fizzy drinks, but you could have the occasional glass of red wine. Now you're talking, I hear you say. It's actually a really nice diet and probably a lot of the stuff you'd eat automatically when you're on holiday over there. So check it out online. It's a very good way to maintain a heart-healthy diet by using lots of everyday foods. There are loads more things I could say, because this is a complex area. But these are some of the key things you can start to do for yourself. 
If you think you need more advice, there's a whole section on heart health in my book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish. Or if you want personalised therapeutic advice, check out my website for details of my nutrition clinic. I run my consultations remotely so you can get assessed in the comfort of your own home. The last thing I want to mention is exercise. We midlife women do tend to move to the mat and there's a lot of Pilates and yoga going on. Now, don't get me wrong, they're both brilliant forms of exercise and great for us in loads of different ways. But your heart is a muscle and it needs working like your other muscles to be fit and healthy and toned. What level of cardiovascular activity are you doing? It doesn't have to be running, although of course that is great if you like it. But a brisk 15-minute walk every day where you're doing more than 100 steps a minute can raise your heart rate. Fast swimming, dancing around the kitchen, sports like netball, tennis or rowing are all good ways to get your heart rate up. So mix it up a bit and your heart will thank you for it. So that's it from me. A quick reminder to know your numbers, get that health check from your doctor or pharmacist so you know what your cardiovascular baseline is and then you know what you're dealing with. Once you've got that, you can start to roll out the dietary approach. It will reap dividends, I promise. A bit of self-care goes a long way and the investment you make in midlife will ensure good health in later life, which is what we all want really, isn't it? So go for it. If you'd like to find out more about my nutrition clinic and the work that I do, visit my website, well-well.co.uk, where you can find all the information about me, my clinical nutrition programs, my books, my articles, and my podcasts. There's a lot of great free advice there for you. If you've enjoyed the podcast, remember to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And please give it a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. I'd be so grateful. And do tell your friends and family about it too. It really does make a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast so that more women can find the show. After all, every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.